So today is Jesus in Jeremiah. I want to give you just a little bit of history context and why this is so important. We started last week with the book of Isaiah, why the prophets are so important, so I won't reiterate those things. But if you find yourself going through a very difficult time, an, an, an unscalable wall, you're facing a terrible mountain, a difficult situation, your Goliath is staring. How many of you ever had Goliath stare you in the face and tell you you're not going to make it? And I just am so thankful that God is a God that will always stir hope in our hearts if we're willing to look to him, this resurrected king who cheated even death. His purposes are greater than the problems we face every day of the week. Amen and amen. And when we're walking through those difficult times, Jeremiah is a great prophet to study and look at in Scripture as he was navigating through discovering his ministry in what is arguably the most difficult time in the history of the Hebrews. Amazing things were going on. Uh, last week we talked to Isaiah. Jeremiah actually came on the scene about 60 years after Isaiah, and he was the prophet who was the weeping prophet to the wayward people. Uh, it's a good way to, to realize. And a lot was going on with God's family, with God's people, as they had strayed away and in a, a posture of great disobedience. Terrible things uh, were, going, were taking place. And in the decades of his ministry, ultimately, uh, he led up to the fall of Jerusalem and the Babylonian exile of God's people. And it was tragic. I mean, political upheaval like you and I can't even begin to imagine. Military breakdown like we can't even begin to imagine. The, the most crazy thing, I mean, like your whole nation being taken captive. And, and, you know, I know we're walking through some things in this political scene, and I'm going to try to go a little uh, easy on this. I, I'm, I'm not going to go easy on it ultimately, but I'll get distracted if I'm not careful. But I, I'll just say this to you. When we get into the book of Daniel, I'm going to make the point very clear. Let me just say, Christians... I'm personally fairly exhausted with how Christians are bowing to political leaders as if we need them to rescue our country. I say Jesus is Lord. He's the king. I'm not looking to some political individual to come save a nation. Vote your conscience, but stop giving up and casting gloom and doom on everybody if your candidate doesn't get elected or if you don't see the right candidate in place. Daniel sure didn't. And in this time with Jeremiah, the same thing. We see how, what to think and how to pray and how to make it through a difficult storm as we study out who Jeremiah is and, and what he was accomplishing and the way he was walking this out. And Jeremiah is one of the four major prophets along with Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Daniel. And uh, ultimately, what, what, what we want to do is see where Jesus is in each of these books and then find some livable a uh, highlight idea that we can walk out of this treasure of Scripture. Isn't it awesome that when we have the Word of God, we possess the mind of Christ? When you memorize the Bible, you memorize the mind of God. Let me encourage you, memorize the Bible. I'm going to give you some great verses today that are very memory-worthy, uh, and just rehearse those as you walk this out. But, but explaining each week so that we understand John chapter 5, verse 39, before any of the New Testament was written, Jesus made the statement, the Scriptures point to me. Very simply, he stated to the, he was speaking to these religious people that were all about trying to prove themselves religiously. And he's saying, you missed the whole point. The scriptures speak of me. Well, the scriptures in the New Testament had not yet been written. So he's talking about the Pentateuch. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. He's talking about every book of the Bible. Let me just say, every book of the Bible is all about Jesus. And it has to always be about him. 
And you and I, we, we don't discover purpose in life until we discover who we are in Jesus Christ. And so this is just so revealed. And, and a lot of this on my blog, I don't have time to go into the depth of, of you know, kind of theology uh, any further than where I'm going to go today. But if you go to the destinychristian.com site, if you hit a, just download our app, you'll find the blog on there. And you can read further in this. But, but here are a couple of things that you need to see about Jeremiah. Jesus is revealed in Jeremiah. You know, we've walked through a lot of this together, those of you who've been here for, for many months now. But, for instance, Jesus is revealed in a lot of characters of Scripture, right? So, like, when we looked at Joseph, uh, you remember Joseph went to jail. He was condemned with two prisoners. One lived and one died. And that's a type, an expression that Jesus was coming. One day he would be condemned with two prisoners, and there were three of them on the crosses, and one accepted him and lived, and one did not, and one died. And it was a type. It was an expression. Joseph was raised into public expression of ministry when he was 30 years old, and it was a type that Jesus was raised into public and released into public ministry when he was 30 years old. Every book of the Bible is utterly filled with these, and it's absolutely overwhelming when you start evaluating this. Last week in our enrichment discipleship course, which tonight again at 5 o'clock we'll have a, our enrichment course, we got the daddy-daughter dance. Any daddy's going to be breaking it down tonight. Can I just see. How many of you want to see my best move right now? I know you don't. Tonight at six o'clock, we'll break into the daddy-daughter ball, and I'll embarrass my daughters thoroughly as I did last year. But we're going to do our enrichment course at five o'clock over in our training room, and we'll be talking through some of these things. Last week, we navigated through the five articles of furniture, furniture in the tabernacle that speak of the five senses of humanity. Folks, I believe this stuff's important. I believe that the church has largely settled for surface-level ideologies and teaching that kind of helps us live a, a moral lifestyle, and we've lost sight of depth of theology where Jesus is revealed and substantially releases something in our lives that we might rise up and not be dissuaded, but more than conquer, and more than conquer, and more than, not just conquer, more than conquer every situation that comes our way. But we need to understand this God's way. And so Jesus is revealed in Jeremiah in fascinating ways. Both Jesus and Jeremiah lived in a time of political upheaval and unrest for Judah. Uh, both became enemies of the Jewish state. Both were misunderstood and persecuted by the citizens of their own hometown. And again, lots of, lots of parallels drawn in all of this and Jesus revealed throughout the book. But I want to just focus in on something that I believe is crucially important for the church of our day, for you and for me as Christians. The world has the wrong idea about the church, and largely that's because the church has the wrong idea about themselves. And in Jeremiah's day, navigating through seemingly an unscalable wall, incredibly difficult times, there were false prophets that started watering it down, bringing the depth of what God was really trying to say and bringing it up to a surface expression that was absolutely deceitful, though it was what people wanted to hear. And personally, I don't want to, I don't want to have anybody trying to surround themselves with me, you know, with itching ears the Bible describes, and I'll tell them what they want. Listen, you don't need to hear what you want to hear. You need to hear what you need to hear. Welcome to church where we're going to hear what we need to hear because God has something to say about our situation. And so here these false prophets in Jeremiah's day were in abundance. And they were, they were promoting false doctrine and they were literally contributing to great confusion. And hear this, ineffectiveness of God's people. 
And we live in a very similar day where there's an absence of theology and theological depth and, and it's, it's promoting confusion in the church and the church doesn't even want to have anything to do with the church. How do we expect the world to want to have something to do with the church? I'm calling all men and women of God to a deeper, more meaningful walk in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And we just need to understand, we have absolutely, and hear this, this is going to strain your brain, you're, you're going to celebrate it, but you're not going to digest it, you probably need to write it down, it's not on your paper, you're going to have to think about this, but we have absolutely missed the point when we see ministry as an avenue of self-fulfillment rather than kingdom advancement. And church today has tried to create every doctrinal conclusion to produce the idea of self-fulfillment, and it's become all about ourselves, and the only sacrifice we're talking about is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, you need to make some sacrifices. You should be fasting. You should be praying. You should be going without meals from time to time. You should be memorizing the Word. You should be reaching out to people around you. You should be the Jesus to your generation. You're a giant killer. Nobody claps alone in this church. Come on. You're a giant killer. We just clap that in together. Every week I tell myself, calm down, Lawrence. Try not to be so crazy up there. It never works. When I first became a Christian, I, you know, I was sharing a little bit, two-tone mullet. I was this 80s heavy metal lead guitar guy. I still have my flying V. Broke it out recently. And uh, we're, we're going to break it out before too long with the church family, I think, again. People are talking to me about it. But, I mean, I was just this radically lost guy. I was loud. When I was in class, the teacher was fussing at me. And I got saved. And people said, now, you don't want to be loud. You want to calm down because now you're a Christian. And I'm just thinking, I, I don't know. I, I'm not very much like uh, Mr. Rogers. I'm, I, I'm not like that. If you're going to try and corner me into Mr. Rogers, I think you ought to take me over maybe to a little different place. And don't, I want to tell you, don't calm down. Don't let anybody tell you to calm down. You don't need to calm down. You need to be who God called you to be. And if you're not exuberant and extrovert, then don't try to be exuberant and extrovert on behalf of God. Just be you. But be you all the way. Be, be true to who God created you to be. Some are just loud and noisy. That's me. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. And so here's this false doctrine being pr promoted by these false prophets, and, and it's creating all kinds of confusion as the people of God are trying to navigate through very difficult times. And, and the false doctrine was basically cornering the church into a place of isolation. Listen very carefully. It was times are tough. This is very difficult. Prepare for the worst. Build your bunkers. Store your food. Don't talk to anybody. Just stay hidden. Stay away. We're in this Babylonian culture, and you don't want that culture to get in you. Run and hide. Hide your children. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. <laughs> Our theology needs to be corrected so we can be effective. Their, their theology had to be corrected so they could be effective. 
So we want to talk about this today, and we want to see this with great clarity. And hear me once again, I'm just going to make the statement over and over. I think we've missed the point when we see ministry as an avenue of self-fulfillment rather than kingdom advancement. And the church is not one of the many organizations designed to service the needs of its members. In our Western world, that's the way we see organizations and membership. And and when I join an organization, I expect to have my needs met or I'm not going to pay my dues and I'm not going to be involved. That's not what church is. Church is not about gathering the commoners to watch the professionals because I'm one of you. I'm like, I don't even know how to be a pastor. I'm a former dopehead. I don't know how to do what God's asked me to do. I just love Jesus with all my heart, and I've learned to love his word, and I have learned the more I become like him, the more I love people around me. That's what God wants us to do. When we come to church, our lives are enriched. When we become the church, our world is enriched. When we come to church, it's beautiful. We're encouraged with our worship worship team. Thank you. I want to say to the worship team, thank you for providing what you provide. The tech team, thank you for helping all the sound go right. The video team, thank you. Come on, let's just say thank you to people that are doing so much to help us as a church family be so enriched. We were greeted with some wonderful smiles today. Thank you. I mean, just so many people doing so many things to help us be who God's called us to be and become who God's called us to become. And when we come to church, our lives are greatly enriched. But when we become the church, our world is greatly enriched. We walk with strength. We walk with faith. We walk with integrity. We walk with character. We walk with power. Everywhere we go, we carry a mantle and an anointing that helps people wake up and see things with greater clarity because in the presence of the Lord, confusion goes away. Do we know who we are? We are called to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. And let's take a look at the faulty theology that came from the false prophets that was more keeper of aquarium than it was fishers of men. And I believe today, will you just engage your faith with me? I believe today there are some things that are about to be awakened in some people's lives that are going to take them to a dimension of the anointing and power of God that will cause them to be more effective, cause you to be more effective in what God's called you to accomplish out in the real world. Will you just take that and I just receive that in Jesus' name? Just say amen if you just receive that over your life, over your legacy, over your children. So here's the faulty theology. Jeremiah 28, they were saying, you know, just calm down, hang in there just a couple of years and it'll all be over, and then we'll be back in a place of great promise. It's found in Jeremiah 28, verses 2 to 5. False prophets said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. It's a great caption, great introduction. It's just false, okay? Just because somebody says God says it doesn't make it true. 
I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring you back to this place, all articles of the Lord's house. It goes on and talks about God's going to restore. Just hang in there for two years. Stay away from the bad, bad Babylonian culture and just hang in there for two years and God's going to restore. I mean, you know, anybody can hear that and think, I can hang on for two years and then we'll go on. And it's almost this mindset we have, like get safe and get rid of all these bad influences in your life and just hunker down and come and worship here and we're going to keep you encouraged. And I just want to say that is not what Jeremiah told them. Listen to what Jeremiah said, because then it said, then the prophet Jeremiah replied. It goes in Jeremiah 29, 5 to 7, and Jeremiah says, build houses. He's talking about real estate. Settle down, plant gardens. He's talking about agriculture. Eat what they produce. He's talking about commerce and exchange taking place. This is about a business mantle in the people of God to get engaged and involved in all levels of society. We cannot affect society if we do not integrate into society. You are salt. We are salt. Salt does not do its job when it's nice and neat in a salt shaker sitting on a table. Salt doesn't do its job until it gets turned upside down, shaken, and all out on the plate and the food and all the other stuff. How many of you know when God starts turning us upside down and shaking us, it's because the world around us needs what's about to spill out of our lives? Power of God Almighty. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. That's important. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And I left these blank for you to fill in. Verse 7 also seek the peace and prosperity. It's an important word peace and prosperity. We are to seek the peace and the prosperity. Of the saints? No, that's not what it says. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Do you understand the magnitude of what's being said here? Like instead of hating the world, it's almost as if God loves the world. For God so loved Babylon... For God so loved Barabbas. I can't stand Barabbas. I hear Barabbas release this criminal. People ask Jesus, we want Jesus to be crucified. Turn Barabbas like this murderer, this thief, this everything bad. For God so loved Barabbas. Let that sink in a little bit. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So you want to make sure you got all those words, circle those, write them in, whatever you need to do. But verse 7 is where I'm going to capitalize here and really dig in. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And it says, when the city prospers, you too will prosper. All three times the same Hebrew word is used, and that Hebrew word is shalom. When you look at the Hebrew language in that text of Scripture, it is saying, seek the shalom of the city. Pray to the Lord for it, because if the city experiences shalom, you will experience shalom. You remember we did a series one time called Shalom Happens. 
The world says other things happen. They wear shirts about it. And so we made our own shirts. Shalom happens. And we brought a whole focus to help people understand what this is. And you notice this translate because we think of shalom as peace. And shalom is peace. And predominantly the Hebrew word shalom translates into English in peace. But it translates into a whole lot of other things. And we see it in this text where it translates prosperity three times. So riches, shalom actually translates riches. And it makes sense because how many of you have ever not had money to pay your bills, therefore you had no peace? Shalom. It also translates health. And it makes sense because how many of you have ever been to the doctor and they gave you an ill report of health and it robbed you of your shalom, your peace? Shalom is the kingdom of heaven that has come into the earth and will minister to every need that you could ever think of, that you could ever have. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. God's kingdom has come. This word shalom translates rest, wellness, welfare, happy, friendly. When you extend a smile into somebody's life, you're expressing shalom. God's kingdom has transformed my life. Anybody just used to be grouchy, mean, angry people, and then you came to know Jesus, and he began to transform your life. When heaven gets in your heart and you allow it to have its way, it transforms you into this expression. In case anybody's here from Texas, when heaven gets in your heart and you allow it to have its way, you're transformed more into the image of Christ. I just want to make sure. I, want to ma- I know I'm talking fast, and I know I'm jazzed up, and I'm excited, and I believe we're at an unscalable wall, and suddenly some of us in this room are starting to see, oh, I can put my hand here. There is a higher place God's calling you to go today as a result of our gathering. We didn't just show up today to have a nice little church service. We showed up today to see God's kingdom expand, to be armed and equipped and dangerous giant killers of our generation. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are you, I want you to get this, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God, peacemakers, shalom creators, peacemakers, You and I process and we take God's presence into our lives and literally manufacture shalom to be released in the earth as a result of our ability to turn what God reveals and releases into some form of expression of love and life and power and anointing in our world. Now, that is profound. We are shalom creators. Blessed are the shalom creators, those that make peace, those that create shalom in the earth. And and you need to understand this this happens where you live. This happens where you work. Let me just alleviate something, okay? False doctrine has caused us to think that our objective is to share Jesus to change people. Don't tear your clothing and shout blasphemy yet. Hear me out. False doctrine has created a sense of performance in the church 
where we feel like our obligation of evangelism is to share Jesus to change people. I want to just challenge you to try your hardest today to erase that from your brain. It is not true. It is not God's plan for you to change anybody. It is God's plan for you to love everybody. Whether they change or not is none of your concern. Mm. Now when I get that, People no longer feel manipulated as if change is my ultimate objective. All my objective is is love. Now I'm liberated to be who God's called me to be. Now I no longer have a hidden agenda. Listen, I don't care how you dress it up. Love with a hook never feels good. Stop using your love as bait to try and get somebody to do what you know. If they just do what I said, their life would be better. So here's where it lands in your house. How many of you have heard the priest before Acts 1.8? <clears throat> you will receive power. Power. If you've been around church very long, you've heard this translated out of the Greek word dunamis. And dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. And dynamite is power. You will receive power power, the kind of power that changes things. Like dynamite blows up and the part of the, the cliff is gone and all the rocks are out of the way. And, you know, whatever it is. I mean, dy- it's, it's, that's the type of power. Like it changes things. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Listen, I spent some time this morning praying in the Spirit as I was walking around and preparing at my house. And when I came here, I was pacing back and forth, and I was praying in the Spirit. And that's power. That's power of the Holy Spirit. But false doctrine has caused us to believe that that's the limitation of power, and it's not. And you need to understand, the power of God's got to break out of this place into the world around us through your surrendered available life. I know it's a good talking point, and we can kind of get on the little hand clap approach to it, and I appreciate the encouragement, but I want to show you this in Scripture, not just a good idea. If we go to Matthew chapter 25, verses 15 to 18, and you, you're familiar with the story, and he gave one, uh, he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent. You remember the story, the story of the talents. He gave each one according to his Are you reading it with me? He gave each one according to his own ability. You might want to circle that word if it's not clearly written out in there because that word ability is actually translated from the Greek word dunamis. The reason this is so important, because they took the talents that had been entrusted to their care, and he went on his journey, and immediately they who had received the talents went and traded with them. The guy who got five talents traded with them. He traded with his talents. He had been given a measure of business skill and Holy Ghost power to fulfill his obligation and his responsibility and align with his gifting. I just want you to know some of you in this room are anointed by God to lead board meetings. Some of you in this room are anointed by God to close the deal. Some of you in this room are anointed by God to trade in agriculture. Some of you in this room are powerfully anointed by God in real estate. All those things Jeremiah was saying, don't shrink back. Go get engaged. Go get in the middle of Babylon. Let the kingdom of God come right in the middle of this godless place, and suddenly lives will begin to be transformed and turned around. 
I'm suddenly hoping I have it left in me for second service because I'm yelling a lot. Next blank, God had only one son, and he did not entrust his son to a minister. He entrusted his son to a businessman. Think about it. Jesus lived to be 33 years old, three years of most world-transforming ministry the world had ever seen. In the first 30 years of his life, were being trained and equipped in the home, in the house of a businessman, not a priest, not a prophet, a businessman who probably felt he was somewhat not all that spiritual, the way false doctrine has caused people to feel. That's why I love the fact my wife as an attorney and, and our business ventures that we, I just want you to know there's an anointing in this house for business. There's an anointing in the church for business. There's an anointing that you would understand the call of God on your life. It's not just to show up and worship. I love it that we show up and worship, but we shouldn't just show up and get inspired. We should go show up and be empowered. And everywhere we go, we go under the anointing and the mantle, the mantle of God Almighty, fulfilling everything God's called us to fulfill. Field. You're anointed by God to be in the workplace. You say, I don't know. I'm the only Christian in the whole workplace. I don't even see how God can you. He must trust you a lot if you're the only missionary he sent into that place. You're more powerful than you realize. He's got more confidence in you than you can imagine. We create shalom. Let's say it together. It's going to pop up on the screen. It's our phrase of our core values. It's absolutely what God's called us to accomplish together as a church family. Will you say it with me? We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. Let's, let's say it one more time. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. This is who God has called us to be as a church family. There are great church families all over the planet, but we'll answer for ours. And anybody who's been here for any length of time should be outrageously loving, passionately pursuing, consistently submitting, irrationally giving, and effectively discipling. When you've been in that atmosphere long enough, it starts to get on you and in you, and be, you become who God's called you to become. Things begin to be awakened in your life. God's plan is to increase us for the purpose of expanding God's kingdom. How many of you know Jesus said, I will build my church? How many believe God's wanting to build his church? Like a lot of people are hating on his church. I went through a season of disillusionment myself, and it was the healthiest thing that could have ever happened to me as a pastor because I understand why people feel disillusioned at times with the church that has become so inward and self-serving. Self Pastors and myself, I mean, I'm embarrassed of what I used to be, and if you're not that way, then you probably need to be delivered from who you are right now. God wants to make us more like him. And I haven't got it all figured out, and neither do you. We're just all on a journey trying to find our way. But when I stop judging myself so harshly, I stop judging other people so harshly. I stop trying to change everybody, start trying to love everybody. Now we're going to be the church. Now we're going to be the church. Now we're going to be the church. 
In my house, I'm going to be the church. I'm going to look into my wife's eyes, and I'm going to tell her I love her because of the love of Jesus that's in me. It's going to awaken something deeper than I could ever understand on my own. I'm going to look into my kids. I'm going to tell them how much I care about them. They're going to feel my support in a way they couldn't feel it if I hadn't been touched and changed and transformed by God Almighty. Do you know Jesus today? Have you allowed your life to be a resource in his hand that's transforming your home? I'm not saying you get it right, because sometimes I look into my wife's eyes and I say things that she has to say, you better watch your mouth. I'm going to tell the elders. How many of you know I'm talking about just getting real? But in the midst of everything you're walking out, God's not going to leave you alone. He's going to deal with you until you allow yourself to be dealt with in a way that you become more what he wanted you to become in the first place. Ah, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I've given my best today. I've given everything I know to give today. And I just ask you to do what only you can do right now. You would seal this word in our hearts. You would transform our lives as a result of seed being planted out of heaven into our hearts, transforming us to become more of the people you've called us to be, establishing the culture of heaven and the earth. Shalom has come. The king, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Shalom in the earth, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want to declare to you today, Psalms 115, verse 14, may the Lord give you increase you and your children. Why don't you stand in that word? I just clothe you with that word. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May the Lord expand your life so that his kingdom can expand everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, God shows up in greater measure because that's just who we are. Man, we've got to get this. Do you want your life to be a resource in the hand of God? Do you want that? It begins by surrendering to the cross of Christ, not surrendering to religion. Not saying, well, that pastor's a little crazy, worship's good. I'll start going to church a little bit. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about showing up. Hopefully you can get some stuff that'll help you live a better life. I'm talking about dying. We're not here to convince you to live better. We're here to convince you to come to the cross of Christ where you actually lay your life down, follow the example of Christ, and after you die, then you discover life like you never knew life could be. I'm just telling you from experience, can I get a witness in this place? The life of God. 